So I've I've worked with again this is the younger new generation of people coming into the construction industry where older generation says no I can't we can't work with them they just don't get it we have to spoon feed them everything they're on the brink of being kicked out of the organisation and you know I said well actually I just don't think we're leading them properly we're not understanding we're not understanding what their values are you know we're not really into making this interesting for them um, and I believe that actually this person, given the right conditions, will actually do really well. I put, was put in a position where I can create those conditions where they could perform, and it happened, and they performed. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also excited to announce that we're now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and we're excited to expand our reach and our impact through this fantastic network of incredible podcasts. Today, we're talking with Michael Fisher coming to us from the United Kingdom. The title is Leadership in Construction and Beyond, Strategies to Grow Your Culture and Your Business. Michael has been a professional engineer for over a dozen years, but he has shifted his focus from design, which he still does brilliantly, to leadership, leadership in construction, and as we said, beyond the construction world. Today, Michael's gonna talk about some critical elements of leadership, such as defining what great leadership is, what it means to create a culture of psychological safety, not just physical safety, and ways to do it. He's gonna talk about active listening, empathy, humility, all the things you've heard before, but particularly applied to the construction industry. He's gonna talk about the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion in construction, Make sure you pay attention to Michael's discussion about a fixed versus a growth mindset and the power and empowerment that comes from what he calls not yet thinking. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so excited to be back here for another conversation about leadership. And today we're going to have somewhat of a unique perspective because it's a bit of a specialized perspective. We've got Michael Fisher with us today. Michael is coming to us from the UK and Michael is a civil engineer. Uh, he's with an organization as an engineer called RPS Europe. He's a father of four. Uh, interesting tidbit here. He's a, he's dyslectic. Uh, he's a podcast host called of a, podcast called Leadership in Construction. And he's a self-described leadership entrepreneur, which means he has dove into the deep end of the leadership pool. And he is swimming and he's swimming with the sharks <laughs> and the fish and the octopus and all that good stuff. Uh, so welcome, Michael, to this conversation on leadership. Uh, thank you for having me, Jeff and Craig. Um, pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So, Michael, fill in some of the gaps. Give everybody a little bit of the backstory for Michael Fisher. Sure. Okay. So, uh, this this is usually quite a long story and probably takes about forty five minutes. I'm going to try and condense it <laughs> to as short as possible. Um, so, yeah. So, as you say, I'm a civil engineer, um, and I've been working in that field for about fourteen years. Um, in about the twelfth year, I became professionally qualified um, with uh, the Institute of Civil Engineers. 
And what got me to that position uh, in my organization, in my career, was all my technical competencies. Uh, but it came apparent very quickly soon after my professional qualification that those technical skills were no longer fit for um, my career and, and leading people. Um, as soon as I became professionally qualified, I was um, sort of thrust into two, leading two projects and very quickly um, relationships started to break down. People stopped coming to meetings and, and we started to um, make no progress on projects whatsoever. Um, and I, I realized looking inward that I must be part of this problem. And so I had to work out what, what was this problem, what I needed to do to sort of make things, make things work, get things back on track and build better relationships and um, encourage people to participate in these projects. Mm-hmm. And oh, I remember a really dark day and I was um, really feeling lost, didn't know what to do. And I called my dad, uh, who is a great leader in his own industry. I just asked, you know, is there anything you can give me that might give me some help? Uh, and he said, yeah, sure, you know, come around Sunday dinner, bring the kids, and then uh, and we'll go through some ideas. I thought this was brilliant. You know, I'm going to turn up on Monday morning, the world's best leader, going to get these silver <laughs> bullets and, <laughs> and these pools of wisdom, and, and there's going to be no stopping me. I'm going to do just like that. Uh, and by the fact that you're laughing, you're realising, of course, that didn't, that didn't happen. Not at all. Right. Uh, and my dad being my dad, you know, he um, didn't really sit me down and give me any pulse of wisdom. He just gave me a big bag of books and said, go read those, which was great. <laughs> as you mentioned, you know, I'm dyslexic. Reading is not my strong point. And I went away feeling a bit deflated by that experience, thinking how that didn't help me at all. How am I going to how am I going to figure this out? Can't read these books. So, I, I, you know, I, I picked up the first book. Uh, it was the thinnest, smallest book. Uh, written oh, like a story and I figured I'll give it a shot what I've got to lose uh, and it was a book called Leadership and the One Minute Manager you may have heard that oh yeah, by oh, yeah. Kenneth Blanchard uh, yep. and literally that book changed my life it completely opened up a whole new vision of what leadership was and I was really skeptical before I read it by the end of it and it, and it didn't take me long because it's a really straightforward book to read and it's written as I said like a story everything just started to click and in that book um, Kenneth Blanchard talks about his situational leadership model too. And that was it. I was away. I mean, I yeah. involved in, in loads of courses, I've read all the books, um, and really started to get a passion for leadership. But the, the most significant part about all this is that the minute I started to implement some of these things into my daily work life, straight away, I started to see an impact. And, and it worked great. So all of a sudden then, uh, projects started to go much smoother. People started to participate more, and you know, I really started to um, develop myself and develop the team. Um, and so that was a couple of years ago now, and even today, it has had a long-lasting effect. So those team members I used to work with, I no longer work with anymore, um, but they still come back to me to, to 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 discuss things, to just you know have a you know a quick workshop on a particular construction issue uh, and and what i did was i created this environment and space in which people could just feel safe to just come and say what they like uh, and and just use me as a sort of not even a voice of reason just to talk at me half the time i just get a call up can i just talk to you about this and i got someone calling me up today about a military airfield and a piece of uh, design i'd never done before and i didn't have any technical answer for him 
I just gave him that environment in which he felt safe enough that he could explore some ideas, bounce some ideas off me and just, and just take it from there. And, and that's sort of then how I got into leadership. Well, I love your story, Michael, because what you really, I think the thing that stuck out to me most is you realized that the issue was you and you were willing to face that and not just push it under the rug and beat down your, your people. You took it on yourself as I need to fix me and then I can fix the problem. Absolutely. Yeah. It would have been so easy for me. And I almost did to just sit back and blame others. Like yeah. so many leaders before me, that's what they did. Right. Um, but I realized that that's not going to, that's not going to work, you know? Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about it later, but at the same time, I think it's interesting to my story as, at the same time I was learning about leadership, I was becoming a parent for the first time. So I was leading a lot of mm. parent books as well. And that's some serious leadership. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, there is such a close parallel between leadership in an organization and being a parent. Um, so it doesn't mean to say if you're not a parent, you can't be a leader, but there are just so many similarities and actually closer than you'd actually think. <laughs> I have to say that I, I heard the same thing Craig did, and I had an additional response to it. So I thought, I actually wrote it down when you said, I realized I had to look inward. And I went, oh, mm. my God, yes, perfect. Yes, that's what leaders do. They look inward. And then you went on as you were telling the story to say, and then you reached out to your dad and, and, and concluded that one conversation with your dad and you would be a great leader the next day. <laughs> and I thought, what a perfect example of leader blind spots. Like I nail, I <laughs> yes. nail this part and go. Yeah, I got to look at right. myself and all I need is a kind of a dinner with dad. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was I was looking for what is the answer? What is that secret thing that's going to unlock this? To me, it's an enigma. Yeah. Like how do you how do you can how can you influence people? And I realized there is no thing about unlocking it. There's no no amount of Simon Sinek videos or Gary Vaynerchuk videos you can watch <laughs> that's going to make you a great leader. You just you have to go and learn for yourself, experience for yourself, and just dive right in. And there's an acronym uh, that I use called PPP. So um, in the construction industry and, and every industry you have PPE, so protective personal equipment. Um, I use PPP, which is um, practice, persistent and patience. So the more you practice, the more you're patient with it, the, the sooner it will come along and, and, and it'll work. But it's over great. I mean, it's taken me years to get to that kind of rapport where people come back to me, even though I don't work with them anymore. Um, so it doesn't happen overnight. I've definitely learned that one lesson. <laughs> well, let's address one piece of something you just said, Michael. You, you talked, you've said several times the phrase great leader, great leadership. I mean, I'm going to guess you would agree that the key to that is deciding what that is to start with. Like what actually is great? Because I think there's, a, I think that's part of the challenge we have in the world. Or there's just what is leadership? Showing up saying, I'm a great leader because of whatever, but a lot, most of the rest of the world says that's not great leadership. So how have you dis defined great leadership for yourself? Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing. And if you Google what is leadership, um, you get like millions of results in like 0.1 of a second. Um, and I have done that research and it's, it's going into my book at the moment. And um, so I, I don't really think there is one definition. And a lot of people will talk about setting the vision and articulating that vision. And all this stuff is absolutely true. Um, but I do believe it's very sort of personal what you believe leadership to be and what you believe of great leadership to be. Um, and so for me, I say the sort of leadership is about creating those environments where people can feel uh, psychologically and physically safe to bring their best selves to the, to, to the work. 
but also that you know you can give them the space and autonomy and trust to then succeed in their own way. Uh, and I believe autonomy and trust is is really key in that aspect because we're um, before I sort of really started to learn about leadership. You know, I didn't want to give away um, too much because I said, oh, "What if they fail? What if people fail?" And I realized, you know, that's part of learning. That's part of that's how I learn, and and that's part of this what we call a growth mindset is failure. Um, and so that was uh, that was a realization to me that autonomy is essential. And and we see so many micromanagers, and and it and it, and it doesn't work out very well. And what it sends a signal to absolutely everybody, if you're a micromanager, is that you just don't trust them. Um, but but if you can if you can hold steadfast and just let um, people have autonomy and trust, it comes back uh, in buckets. And, it, and it's about giving first. You've got to be the first person to give that trust. It's not trust should be earned. You know, mm-hmm. trust is yours to lose, I think. Yes. Well, I think another piece in there, Michael, is when you see somebody that is micromanaging, oftentimes what that means is they can't do their own job. All they can do is the job before them. That's like the Peter principle. You rise to the level of incompetence. And you know, from a from a statistical standpoint, that is what I've seen happen. Um, you actually see that those people they're they're still stuck in their old role. Absolutely, and uh, uh, you know, I would ask you. Um, in part, do you feel like that's because they get comfortable in that role, and to go beyond that role, it, it's it's fearful, it's scary. Would you agree with that? That's definitely part of it. The other side is that oftentimes they're not trained for the next job. Yeah. And you get you get promoted beyond your level of capability. And that, you know, shame on the 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 leader above them for promoting them without the that because it's it's negatively impacting mm. the people who are now Absolutely. working for them as yeah. well. And I think when you said training, a lot of people think sit you in the classroom and and mm. teach. Uh, and again, this is how it links back to parenting. So the best form of leadership, yes. the best form of teaching is to watch the leaders before you. So the bad yes. leadership, because I'm not going to say I didn't have any leadership skills. I had some loads of leadership skills. They were just really rubbish and never worked. <laughs> and that's because and that's because I looked at the people that led me throughout my whole career, my 12 years, and, right. really, and they were just poor leaders. There were some good bits, but there was a lot more bad bits. Um, yeah. And so... What I do, and this is what I do with my children, is you know I just lead by example, um, and um, I don't tell people how they should lead. Um, they, you know, I just try to emulate what I think is great leadership, and hope that it rubs off on people. And I think it does. And that, you know, as I say, that's what I do with my children. You know, um, I try to teach them empathy, kindness, and resilience, and, and hope that that rubs off by them seeing that in myself. You know, um, you know, if you're a father and you just shout at the kids all, right, all the time, they go to school and they're going to emulate that. Um, but if you're kind and nurturing, they go and emulate the same thing. So I've got four kids, and I, I've seen it quite a few times now. I'm not an expert. What are their ages? Uh, eldest is nearly six. Just keep reminding me. Oh, okay, so you're still early on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My youngest okay. is literally about uh, seven weeks old. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to get any sleep tonight anyway. So I will say, Michael, just stick with it because <laughs> as you, as you build that into them, it will pay off in dividends. Um, Jeff and I both have two grown sons right. each and um, it makes a difference. So Michael, I, I want to go back to something you just talked about. Um, and I think it's a real, one of the big challenges we have in leadership that 
most people, and I mean a lot, have never seen leadership modeled yeah. the way leadership is required today. That was your experience. So talk about, the, I guess, talk a little bit about the reality of that, but also, I mean, you seem to be someone who has stepped away. From, you've gotten past that obstacle. Mm. So what were some of the keys to that as well? Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. So, you know, I, again, I sort of feel like um, my dyslexia is part of my character. And, and for, throughout my whole educational career, um, I'm sort of very in touch with my feelings and very sort of empathetic. As soon as I was, got into uh, the business sector, so I, I, I got into construction at age 17. Um, so I was still quite young and, and molded very easily. Um, and it, everything around the construction sector is very much uh, distrust, um, profit over people, and oh, yeah. and, and and program. Uh, uh, you know, and so that was just fed into me. So all these good things about empathy and kindness and being a people person started to sort of fade away. Okay, hmm. and so that's what sort of stopped. I I had this gut feeling that I hated what I was becoming, and I hated what the industry was. We we. Um, we have so many ridiculous, um, arbitrary targets that we set ourselves for absolutely no reason. Um, you know, I don't like deadlines. I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I have a rule that we don't work past our contracted hours um, because of some deadline. Okay, maybe there's times when you need to, but, um, you know, these are just arbitrary goals and things that, that, that have been randomly set for ourselves and then they don't really not real not exist the real thing is people and um that's what oh, i've lost touch with point. yeah that's such a good point yeah i i'd lost touch with all that and and i was hating what the industry was and you know i know that if we just deploy some empathy and some humility into things then the construction sector is going to get so much better and a lot of my later part of my career is all dealt with contracts and conflicts and um you know we we use a contract a standard form of contract and you know i may be talking chinese but but the, it, it's a very collaborative contract yet most contracts i've worked on always ends in dispute uh, there's always some, really <laughs> surprising isn't it <laughs> you know there's always some sort of uh, upset around cost and, and time and things like that and the contract's actually set up to avoid all this yet it still happens and the bit that's missing is the leadership and and that's why sort of as i got into this i realized who i'd forgotten who i was and and realizing that this is what the construction industry needs and i say construction industry i'm not defining that by sector or by country, I'm just saying as a whole, and I've spoken to many people in the United States and around the world, and the same is said wherever you go, the construction industry is the same, um, and uh, we all face the same issues. So, you know, I, I want, very really, I want the whole construction industry to really sort of change, and, and, uh, and it needs to change, um, because our generation, the people that are growing up today, uh, uh, didn't grow up in the same way that I did or the people performing it. So it needs to change and, and, it, and it has to change. So Michael, what I'm curious, you mentioned right at the outset, you've seen that in the construction industry, one of the common denominators is a lack of trust or even distrust. Uh, what do you think that is in particular for that industry? I mean, I think distrust exists in all industries to some degree, mm -hmm. but why do you think, where's that coming from in construction? 
Again, it's another really good question. And I'm going to be honest, I don't have the answer. I would love to be able to tell you this is the reason why and, and to be able to fix that. Um, but I can tell you some of the things, that, it's like I mentioned, that get in the way of that. And, and, and the things that get in the way of that are, are contracts and, and um, uh, it's, it is a historic issue um, from, you know, the 70s and, and 60s and things like that, where we, we just... Um, Going, I guess it was, I mean, I wasn't around at the times. Um, I mean, I joined the construction sector in the early noughties. So, you know, a lot of things had already moved on, but we're still in a very much adversarial um, uh, people over profit, uh, profit over people sort of industry. Um, but it's very much uh, a sense of, you know, price low and, and, and then claim, claim, claim. Um, don't tell people if they've gone wrong or if they've missed something in the costings or something like that, because we'll get them later on that, you know, and mm. I, I'm very much in the projects I've worked on that worked well is that when you get all things out on the table, you don't judge, you don't point fingers, you don't try and trip people up. You're just very honest and you just, um, you know, you, you just work, work together on things and you understand that everybody faces their own difficulties. And the more you talk about those difficulties, the more you you can uh, collaborate. You know, one of the things that happens so many times in design, which is the sector I'm in, um, you know, we, we, we have to take on multiple projects because our margins are so low. So we have to take on multiple projects, but we still pretend to every single client that they're only up, they're our only client. We don't work for anybody else. <laughs> but right. clearly they must know we have other clients. Why would we lie about that? Why, you know, why don't we face right. into that? And be honest, you know, and say, look, you know, if I don't have other clients, I go under and then I can't provide that service to you, let alone anybody else, you know. So well, let's, let's talk about something because, uh, I, as I said earlier, I've worked with a lot of construction industry companies, not well, construction as well as architects, engineers, so the AEC industry. And one thing I've seen that is, I think, more prevalent in, in, in construction is this mindset that leadership is really about management and it's really management by fear and loud voices. <laughs> you know, if you talk to people in construction, it's still an issue. They talk about at conferences that the, the history of construction job sites is someone yelling to make someone, you know, do it right or mm -hmm. faster. Mm -hmm. And I a quick additional piece. A few years ago, I did a, a workshop for a construction company on accountability and it was, I try and make it humorous. So I, I had this bag, it's a huge bag with me. And I was talking about old style accountability. And I pull out a baseball bat and everybody kind of freaked out initially. And then they say, okay. And then I pull out a sword and talk about cutting people up. And I had so many people come up and say, man, that seems very familiar. I'm not going to turn around <laughs> right now because I could, I'd be looking at the person who does that all the time. And what was interesting was there was a lot of people seemed receptive to a different way. Hmm. And then come Monday morning, I hear that the CEO went into the team meeting and said, that was a really good program. But, you know, every once in a while, you just got to ream people out. <laughs> so I guess that was a long statement. But what have you seen in the industry in terms of that old style of management and a reluctance to move away from that? Yeah, I mean, um, in the sort of early 90s, we, uh, and, and I'm not sure whether this is applicable to the United States, but certainly the United Kingdom anyway, we had a, a few government papers written about collaboration and working together. And uh, they called the Latham Report and the Egan Report. 
Um, two very similar reports came in at sort of slightly different times, uh, and it was about reforming the construction industry. And it's really great ideas, you know, about working together and, and collaboration. Um, and I think, like most things, like sustainability and um, whether you've heard of BIM, we all talk about it, um, and they're just buzzwords in the end of the day. Um, for some people, they're brilliant advocates for sustainability and, and building information modeling um, and, and leadership. Um, but in most cases, uh, they just become sort of buzzwords and they just sort of fall down the wayside. And, and, it, and, and part of the problem is, is, is the construction industry has a very bad um, uh, sort of visual of what, we, what the construction industry looks like. You know, um, it's really hard to attract young talent into our sector. So we have an aging population that are used to the old ways of doing things. So as the young recruits come in, they're going to get the same hard time that we got because that's the way of the world, you know. And um, you know, I had you gotta that. take your licks. Yeah, I, I, I had that. You got to do your dues and all that kind of stuff. But um, yep. you know, we we have an image issue that we need to be able to attract uh, the younger generations coming in, and they need to, you know, the, the new generations coming into the, the workforce want to work for a purpose um, and making money. And hitting project deadlines just isn't sexy, and and they don't want to come work for those sort of things. I don't. I want to come work for a purpose, um, and you can do that on a micro scale, where you you know you make sustainability, for example, as the focal point of what your industry is all about, or safety, um, or you can do that on a micro scale where you can create a vision and uh, inspire on a on a day to day, person to person basis. Now, do you? I what we're talking about here, just this, this aspect of getting along and collaborating. It reminded me of Robert Fulgham's book, all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, you know, and it's, it's all about play nice, right? How can you, how can you get along with each other? And I think we try to make it way too difficult. It's just a matter of having an open conversation, be willing to be a little vulnerable and trying to figure out what's a win-win for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, children of that age, you know, so my, my, my son's age, five, they really have a great idea or in tune with what's, what is good behavior and what is bad behavior and, and who's being naughty and who's being good, who's kind yeah. and who's not. Um, and that is the fundamental, fundamental building blocks of human uh, social interactions, you know, right at that age. Um, and then somehow we develop some weird, quirky <laughs> human interactions as we get older. Um, we add nuances to it, yeah, right? we, at least that's what we call it. And I guess, and, and, and half the time that gets in the way, you know, again, the construction industry, um, very hierarchical, you know, so why, you know, do the people at the top just, you know, have to get the say, we have to do as they say. Um, and slowly, but surely the organizations are becoming flatter um, and, and they need to rather than working in silos. Um, and that is where the old style of leadership is becoming starting to fall down because being able to influence without authority is, is becoming more prevalent. And if you haven't got authority uh, um, and you don't know how to influence people by, you know, just being kind, just, you know, being understanding, right. you're going to start to fall down. You know, so my own organization is, 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 is breaking away from silos. Um, and, and, you know, so I can see it happening now in my own organization. And it is happening absolutely everywhere. Well, let's talk about one of the realities of the construction world and maybe where is leadership impacted by this truth? 
the construction is, and I'm not, I don't have data, but I think we can all agree is one of the least diverse industries in the world when it comes to gender. Yeah, sadly, uh, that is true. I mean, it still is. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's, I mean, if you look, if you go and just look at most organizations, talk about their field and even their operations team, their engineers, their project managers, it's a male dominated industry still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and do you see that changing, number one? And number two, how do you see that impacting leadership and construction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I see some pockets of really great things uh, happening in, in gender diversity and ethnicity diversity. And, 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 and we call it, you know, another buzzword, diversity and inclusion. You know, basically, that's just being kind to everybody, regardless of their background. You know, what, why do we have to say this and celebrate that? Surely that should just be... That's just being human, surely, right? Um, but so that, that's the sad truth. And, and I see some great things. I see so many, so many bad things, particularly around, uh, around women and, and, and gender and things like that, because so, there is such a history um, and it being a very male-dominated industry. You know, I've turned up to quite a few events and, and, and dinners where the majority is just, you know, um, middle-aged uh, middle-class Caucasian men and and it's just as a you know I, I'm so I'm a civil engineer and and part of the reason I became a civil engineer is because I wanted to change the world I believed as a young dyslexic child that I was going to be the inventor of something that would just save the world okay and I, I believe that is what civil engineers are we are invisible superheroes you only know if something you only know about civil engineering if it goes wrong if there's a big flood outside your house you know you don't see it when it's working perfectly um so as a civil engineer and as a member of the construction industry, we have to represent society. We have to build um, cities and infrastructure that's fit for absolutely everybody. Um, you know, surprisingly, middle-aged, middle-class Caucasian men don't represent all of society. So, you know, really, yeah. So, you know, we, we need to absolutely have a, a diverse team um, to get the best of the ideas. Now, this is where leadership comes into it is about, and we, we talk about creating that environment, creating that space in which we can hear everybody's views and opinions. Um, you know, and we, how do you create those spaces? How do you create those environments? But we absolutely need to, in order to, to make our uh, workforce more diverse. Yeah, I think you have to be intentional about that. And that's, you know, I know Jeff's is, is knows that I'm, I'm probably chomping at the bit here because one of the best companies I ever worked for was a civil engineering firm. And I was IT, um, you know, um, chief technology officer and the, the company, it, they really did leadership. Well, were they perfect? No, absolutely not. But they really cared about the people in the organization and they did a lot for them. Um, now it's not, it was, we weren't doing, you know, design build. So we weren't in the construction side of things. It was, it was all engineering, although we did do surveying, but it was a, you know, very, very good company. Mm -hmm. So uh, Michael, what I'm curious about is um, you mentioned several times the idea of safety, and this is a very micro topic but it has a huge impact within construction. Mm -hmm. I'm continuing to hear very disturbing stories within the construction industry about the degree to which organizations, every construction, well, first of all, every construction company I've ever seen or heard 
they tell you safety is number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's every design complete innovation. That's, yeah, that's got to be in the fo- folder, right? Portfolio, top paid safety. Absolutely. I continue to hear stories of people in the company saying, but that's not really true. Yeah. It's not. If you were to look at surprised. the decisions made every day, that yeah. is not true. No. Um, so what are you seeing around that specific mm-hmm. topic or that? Because yeah. that's a value too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. And leadership. Don't get me started talking about health and safety because I think half the people I work with, if they start me going, they start graph about two minutes. Because um, so I'm not going to go into the depth of it because because we could be here forever. But what do I see? I see some really good good construction companies where really health and safety is at the forefront of the mind and they take it seriously and they're open about being seriously. There is no compromise, and I applaud them for that. Um, so very recently. I was reading a report from a con- uh, contractor who had seen two uh, uh, gentlemen uh, stand up on, on the top of a generator trying to find the lifting eyes so they could lift it up. Sounds quite innocent. Okay, but that could be a very serious injury um, if it went wrong. So they were, you know, normally that would just be kind of brushing the carpet. You know, don't, don't make a big issue about it. But no, they, they took this to, you know, very seriously. They had the words with the, and they were kicked off site and then they were allowed back on one of the sites ever again. So they take it seriously. But not only did they just do that action, they told us about it. They told the client about it. And I thought, you know what? That's a contractor that I want to work for who takes this sort of thing extremely seriously. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back. So two, two questions. One is related to the accountability. So those guys that were standing on top of that, that, um, that piece of equipment, was the manager or leader responsible for them who was not having good oversight was that person held accountable as well 
Um, it's a good question. I'm not sure whether the uh, the sort of the the person in charge was was sort of held accountable as such, but um, um, I suppose I don't know the full details of that particular incident. Okay. But certainly, the the people continuing the action um, were certainly, you know, it was not a planned task. They shouldn't have been doing what they were doing, and, and certainly shouldn't have been uh, there. And 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 That's quite right. rightly got got prosecuted. I say prosecuted, but you know, got got told. Uh, more to go. Well, I think the the other question is really around what you brought into the whole mix, which is Jeff was talking about safety. You brought up health and safety, and to us, health also includes things like psychological safety. You know, it's it's not just the yeah. the environment of my physical safety, but the other things that go along with it too. Is that talked about no. in your industry? Well, more so because of the pandemic. We, I've been to um, okay. thrown at me so many well-being um, seminars and, and stuff like that, but it's not really talked about a lot. Um, but as you're quite right, you know, the 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 other part of my definition of of, of leadership is physical and, and psychological safety, um, and, and and you know, this is where the distrust comes in. You know, if if you feel like you're not going to be your voice isn't going to be heard you stop talking, you don't say anything. Um, and, and, and it links into physical safety. If you see, and this is what happened with the Nandi Footbridge, if you see something that you're not sure about and that you think you should report, if you don't have that environment, psychological safety, to be able to voice that opinion or, or flag that up, you potentially miss um, a catastrophe, a fatality that, uh, that, that you know, could, could potentially save lives. So it, the psychological safety part fits into the health and safety part as well. Yeah, I, I'm glad we went there because you had mentioned psychological safety earlier, Michael, and you gave a couple of examples. You talked about that that place where people feel safe raising you. So that's a fundamental question. You know, how are the, how's that responded to? If they identify it, is that embraced with a thank you for let, catching that or, oh my God, now we got to shut this down. <laughs> And you get chewed out for slowing down the process. That right there is going to encourage me to stop saying it or makes it more risky for me to say it. So what are some other examples of what bringing psychological safety looks like in an organization and how do you create that? Hmm. So um, whether this is different for the people, I'm not sure. But for me, um, the psychological safety thing is about um, fundamentally it starts with listening. and. Um, uh, you know, proper listening, um, not just listening to respond, listening to understand. Um, I think, you know, we call it active listening. Um, and that's really sort of trying to understand the key topics that we're talking about and not understand the details. Um, and what helps develop that is also a, a sort of coaching style of leadership, I certainly believe, and certainly the training that I've done is coaching. So as a coach, you, you listen. Um, and you reflect back what's being said. And so without knowing it, before I really knew what coaching was, I always used to say, um, as a leader, you should uh, ask more questions than you answer. Um, and that's really about listening and just asking, asking questions. Uh, and, and the sort of story behind that was that when I was um, going through my career, uh, I would be preparing drawings and preparing reports and passing it off to my seniors, and it'd come back red-penned, and completely rewritten and, you know, you know, told I was not stupid, but, you know, you do it like this, not like this. And I hated that, but realized that I was copying my leaders before me and, and doing that to people. 
And that was playing the part of um, people not thinking for themselves. So I tried to do it in a way that invited them to give them opinions. So if I was marking up a drawing, I would ask questions on the drawing rather than tell them to do this, change that color, rewrite this text. And if I was reading report, but it wasn't the way I would write it, I wouldn't change it. This is someone else's report, um, that sort of thing. So ask, you know, taking that coaching style in terms of listening, active listening and asking questions, just gives those people the, the environment to feel safe enough that they can start to open up. Don't feel like they're being judged um, and, and ridiculed or, or um, you know, thought badly off. It's just they're, they're, they're getting their airtime to, to be open about, about a topic they're, they're talking about. So that's, that's for me is sort of what I do. And it, and it has worked in the past. Missed that last part, Michael. No, so it does work, does work for me, certainly uh, my experience. Yeah. So, Michael, um, thank you for that. You mentioned several times earlier the idea of having a growth mindset. And I want to talk about it because we think that's like one of this. <laughs> Actually, I'm at the point, I'm at this point that maybe I'm just getting cynical in my old age. Greg can either confirm or deny that. Yes. But I'm now convinced <laughs> that when someone says they have a growth mindset, that proves they don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> By saying the statement, just because everybody has it. Like, if you listen to everybody, that means, you know, 99.9% .9 of the world have a growth mindset. We know that's not true because it sounds good yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, so talk about what actually to you is a growth mindset. Okay. And for example, well, you have, you used to believe you have yeah. one. Why do you believe you have one? Yeah. Okay. Um, so for me, and, and, and I really want to hear your opinion on such things. I want you to, to reflect this back at me. See if I've got, see if, if your views align with mine. Um, for me, if you have a fixed mindset, the belief is your capabilities and your ability to learn new things are limited and capped, not only about yourself, but about other people. So what I see and what I've experienced is people say about themselves, I can't do this, I've got to pass this on to someone else, or um, I'm fearful of this new change coming in an organisation, so I'm going to resist it, I'm going to push back. There's no way we can change. Um, So-and-so, they're never going to be an engineer, they can't do that, they just haven't got the capabilities being able to do that. People with a growth mindset are complete opposite to that. They believe that their abilities and their capacity to learn new things and take on new information is limitless. Um, but they also believe that other people's abilities to learn new things and to take on new abilities is, is limitless. So I see the potential in people, whereas people with fixed mindset see just um, what they can do and, and that's it, that's fixed. They can't go and be on that. That's, that's how I see it. So the way that that would show up then is, let's say there's a performance issue. Those with a fixed mindset would say, okay, well, this person can't perform. They need to, they need to be gone. We're going to yes, fire them. Correct. Whereas the other one would be more inclined to say, okay, let's look at training and development. Let's look at, you know, maybe there's something that I've done. Mm -hmm. how, how can we help this person move forward? Is that about right? That's exactly what it is. And I, I speak okay. about this from experience. So I've, I've worked with, again, it's the younger new generation of people coming into the construction industry where older generation says, no, I can't, we can't work with them. They just don't get it. We have to spoon feed them everything. They're on the brink of being kicked out of the organization. 
And, you know, I said, well, actually, I just don't think we're leading them properly. We're not understanding. <laughs> we're not understanding what their values are. You know, we're not really into making this interesting for them. Um, and I believe that actually this person, given the right conditions, will actually do really well. And so I was put in a position where I was able to implement what I've learned and give them. Oh, the wow. So they didn't look at you like you had two heads? No, not at all. <laughs> um, they, you know, they. I put, was put in a position where I could create those conditions where they could perform. Wow. And it happened and they performed. Um, so what I'm doing there is leading up and, and leading by example again. You know, I'm showing Fantastic. my older peers that you believe this person's on the brink of getting kicked out of this organization. We're in actual fact, we've got to look inwards like I did, you know, at the beginning of this <laughs> journey and look at ourselves. Are we doing everything that we could do to support these people? Nice. Does this fit in with your view of what fixed leadership is, a fixed um, mindset? And, and it does. Mindset? It does. I, I think the piece that keeps coming up for me is that growth mindset is about mindset, but it's also about action and change. Mm -hmm. uh, like some people say, I'm, I'm a constant learner and therefore yeah. I have a growth mindset. So, mm, well, but is anything really changing? No. So well, because they're learning a lot, they read a lot of books, they do these things, but they, they choose mm. for whatever reasons, they're not implementing anything new or showing up differently. Yeah, that doesn't okay. show me that doesn't speak to me as a growth. Absolutely. Mindset. So what I would add to that, then, which is where I, I, I believe that growth mindset, um, comfort zone and resilience are all linked like a triangle, like your quality time cost. Yeah, it's like your comfort zone, and your resilience and your growth mindset are all linked, okay? So if I try to explain that a little bit more, okay? Um, and again, I can link this down, down to parenting, okay? So as a parent, I wanna build up my children's resilience. All these learning how to do ABCs and one, two, threes, you know, are actually just gimmicks. You know, if your children can do ABCs and, you know, do complicated maths, great on you. Um, the greatest gift I believe a parent can give any child is the gift of resilience. Okay, so how do you build resilience? Well, a lot of my resilience has gone through adversity. So I'm a quite a resilient person based on the fact that I have dyslexia. And from day one, my education, I was told I would never amount to anything, literally never. Mm. Um, so I have built a thick skin, um, resilience, great, because I believed, I believed that I know I've got so much that I can do. I know I can achieve anything I want to achieve. Uh, I was told I would never be a civil engineer. I'd never be an architect. And, well, I definitely proved them wrong. Um, Way to go, Michael. <laughs> so, you know, I built, you know, we built a resilience through adversity. Um, but, you know, you don't want your children going through adversity just for the sake of building up resilience. So how do you build up resilience with a child? Well, for me, this is the power of play. You, you play with them. You um, give them abilities to make some decisions. You um, don't sugarcoat. You don't protect them. You don't just right. put them into situations which they're going to fail. So with my son, we'll go and do things which are slightly outside of his comfort zone, like yes. going camping, like, like not playing with fire, but building a campfire. Um, you know, and, you know, there's so many instances so recently where I'm just trying to get him just outside that conversation, just a little bit, that then he's going to build resilience because he's going to remember that it was a bit of a scary situation, but I was okay. And who was around me when I was okay? My dad, my mom. Yeah. So, yep. you know, I could go into some of those stories, but I won't go into it. Uh, that is so important. Absolutely. You know, it's, it, and it's, it's giving them additional growth opportunities, but it's also giving them a little bit of extra responsibility when they earn mm. it. Yeah. 
but not giving them so much that they're going to hurt themselves. Mm. You know, not, I mean, like for me as a parent, I was okay if they got hurt, but not if they got seriously hurt, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If they were pushing themselves, fell down, okay, no problem. If they were going to fall off a 20-foot ledge, you know, that was a different thing. Mm. Absolutely. And I'll be honest with you, when I first became a parent, I imposed onto my child everything I was fearful of. So I didn't want to go and climb <laughs> climbing frames and going down the big yeah. slide because I was scared he was going to hurt himself. Uh, right. That's part of the idea. I've got four yeah. kids now. <laughs> I realized I've got no control over that. I just got to let things go. So my later right. born children, they just find a new way every day to try and kill themselves. Whereas my <laughs> early, the first born child, you know, he is fearful of a lot of things. And so I've got oh, a lot wow. more work with him. And this is not uncommon. This is common for yeah. a lot of parents, but I've got to work with him to build up that resilience. Okay. So I do things purposefully to put him out that comfort zone just a little bit, but not so much that he's going to upset himself and, and get more fearful but that he can just yeah. realize that going outside that comfort zone was okay. And so these little bits of getting outside your comfort zone help you to sort of build up that resilience. So how then to relate that into an organization? Okay. Again, I've got experience in this. So you don't want to go through a pandemic like we've just done, and you don't want to go through adverse times of money and things like this and recessions to learn how to be resilient. Um, so how do organizations, how do teams help to build resilience in times of when things may be sort of slightly going good. Um, And I found that just getting ourselves outside that conversation just a little bit helps us to bring us together, create those environments that we talk about where you can feel safe um, and and start to build resilience. So some examples of that. um, We, a couple of years ago, I say, well, start learning more about leadership. As a team, decided rather than making the client's um, budget a priority to us and their, their deadlines are priority. Yes, they're important, but for our team, we're going to be a lot, we're going to be together and around a lot longer than this project. So what are we going to work on as a team that's going to improve our things? What do we hate about what we do? And we, we did this lessons learned log. Lots and lots of things we did well, lots of lots of things we could improve on. And we could have said, right, go and improve on all of them. We didn't. We said, okay, what do we want to prove on now? What, what little thing can we put together for the next project that we're going to say for that project, we're going to make our thing better on that one project. And for the last one that we did, um, we picked document control uh, and, and quality assurance, the thing that we were going to improve on because we were sick to death of not knowing what client had the, the latest revision of a drawing or the revision of a doc, document. Uh, and we were sick and tired of marking things up, but the drawing still coming back wrong. So we had to get on top of this. So we created a little, little challenge for ourselves. And we just, um, I let, I say I let, I didn't let anybody. Um, you know, I, I wanted one person uh, in particular to sort of lead it and, and just test things, trial things, see how things worked. If it went wrong, it didn't work, doesn't matter. That we learn how not to do things. And we just slowly, slowly did these little things. And then by the end of that process, we ended up with this document control procedures document which spelt out perfectly the best way to manage our documents um, in a way that would uh, benefit not just ourselves, but our clients. Um, And it was this great, great piece of work. And we trialed it and it worked and it was beautiful. By leading by example, they could see that we were being open and and honest with each other and not getting upset if something didn't fail and then just trying something different. And, And that 
has sort of helped us sort of make new connections, um, bond as a team, uh, and sort of build up resilience as, as a team. Um, it doesn't happen just once. You can't just do it once and you've got resilience. No, you've got to do it many, many times and, and do it over and over again. Uh, and slowly and surely, um, you, you, can, you can get there. Um, but not just for the people with growth mindsets. You, this is the bit that really benefits people with those fixed mindsets because those fixed mindsets are holding themselves back, but holding their team and the individuals within teams back. So um, that's where you know, we, we come on to, I'm sure, where the power of yet really sort of comes in. Well, let me ask you one more question about resilience. Um, one of the, the I, I guess I'll call it a blind spot is I think there's some belief in leaders, especially those who've been around a while in construction in particular, that resilience, they feel like they're resilient because they went through that brutal experience. And their belief is to build resilience, you gotta do that again. Have you seen that? And what ideas do you have to help them see it differently versus just tell them that's not working anymore? <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, I have seen it because, again, I think that's the, you know, the, you know, I was went through that a little bit myself. You know, you're going to get um, pushed about a bit because that's what happened to us. And this is how you learn. This is how you build resilience. And, um, you know, I'm a sort of I'm a, I'm a big Manchester United football fan. I'm sure you've heard of the team. And I remember the glory days of Class 92. And they'll tell you stories of when they were going through the football, you know, apprenticeship, if you like, how they were sort of put in situations where, you know, they were shouted at and they were, you know, ridiculed and embarrassed because that was how you, you know, bonded as a team. And, 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 and they realised that that's not how it should work and they tried to change it for the next generation. Um, so what it needs is, is leading by example um, and and that next that that's generation of people, that cohort of people that believe, I don't want this for the people. I want this. I want other people to have a better experience than I had, and you know nurture those those people that are coming in into the construction industry uh, in a, in a different way. Um, you you can't tell people you've got to do it a different way. It's like anything. It's, it's one thing about leadership. You and the one thing I've learned is really just got to show. And, and, and eventually people start to see there is another way of doing things. Right. So I, you've mentioned it a couple of times, Michael, and before we wrap, I want to make sure we do talk about it. Uh, you've mentioned the power of yet. Uh, talk about what is, what is that about? What is the power of yet? Yeah. Um, so this isn't something obviously uh, I've, I've come up with. This is something that, I've heard other people talk about, uh, and it, and it, and it's about growth mindset. And it's what I say about you know um, how you build people with fixed mindset slowly start to believe that that you know their um, capabilities and the ability to learn new things aren't fixed and are limitless. Um, because very much um, in the educational system, we're <clears throat> we're taught to pass or fail, um, and failure is bad. And passing is good. That's what we're taught, right? Um, and again, you can't, you can't learn with each other. You have to do it all alone. You have to do it by yourself. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. So, yeah, I was going to fail a lot. Okay. <laughs> so, I was never going to, uh, I was never going to succeed by getting, getting passes. I was never going to succeed by getting failures. 
So the power of yet is, is changing some words within your normal mindset that spins the meaning. So I've got a couple of examples which will help paint the picture. So Simon Sinek has a great story on YouTube about a time he was he's petrified of flying. Okay. Um, and he went on a plane somewhere in America and they went into a lot of turbulence. And obviously he'd been in plane in turbulence, it's going up and down and getting jittery. And you know, you could feel him start to get sweaty and holding on to the armrest and, and clenching. And what he said in that moment wasn't I'm scared, because that then really fixes you and gives in to that feeling of scared. So this is exciting. And all of a sudden he started to feel more excited and recognize those feelings as excitement rather than fear. And slowly but surely over time that builds up a bit of resilience or, or, or a bit of a, a mindset in which actually I quite like that experience. I don't, I'm not fearful. So it's a reframe. Exactly. Yeah, it's a reframe. So the power of yet is reframing. Um, I had a colleague, so another example, I had a colleague once come to me uh, and say, we have a problem. And all of, all of a sudden, the we have a problem or I have a problem <laughs> is a negative tone. And so I, I, I stopped him before he even told me what it was. I stopped him and says, we don't have a problem. We have a challenge. And we're going to, we're going to. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. Yeah. It sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's reframing yeah. it. Um, you know, so the power of yet is, and, and I have seen, again, pockets of this, is, is rather than pass and fail, it's pass or not yet. So, you know, if you pass, great. If you haven't, it's fine. It's not yet. You, you've still got some way to go, some, some more things you've got to go and learn. Um, and by changing it, changing that mindset, changing that to not yet, Gives them, gives yourself and others that freedom to be able to um, explore the possibilities that actually I will be able to get this one day. Now, if I so it's like a, a skill, you know, if you're learning how to play drums, do you know how to play drums? Well, not yet. You know, I may not have ever tried it, but you know, I don't know how to play yet, but I can learn exactly that. Uh, and and if you can help people along with with that power of not yet or yet um then slowly they start to believe that okay i can i can start to step outside my comfort zone learn some new things and yeah. and, and and start to grow and have this growth mindset so that's that's really for the fixed sort of mindset thing and to say to link it back to parenting again because i like to do that um my son will often say to me oh i hate reading it's so hard and I tried saying, yeah, but you're harder. Yeah. You, it seems hard right now and, and you will get it, but you just, just keep practicing. It's I am fun. bigger than any obstacle. That's it. Yeah. And so it's not about not being honest. It's not playing a game with words. It's saying, no, the answer is for right now. You're not ready right now. Not yet. You're not yet ready. Let's work on how you get there. I think that's the key because if I just say to you, not now, and I don't try and help you get there then it might as well be a no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I think, so I think what I hear you saying is it's about, it's about words, but it's also about mindset and intention mm -hmm. and how you, how you model that. Mm -hmm. Everything else, it's not just about the words, but that's part of it. I love that. Yeah. And, and sorry, just sort of to finish off for me, I guess. Um, so I've got this bold ambition that I'm going to try and change the construction industry to bring it into this new, see the light of leadership. Um, 
and if I listen to everyone who says that, it's just, you can't do that. There's no <laughs> way we're going to change our minds. If I don't have that, that mindset of not yet, that this could happen, I'm going to try, I'm going to die trying. Yeah. Um, the construction industry will never change. Um, and it needs to. And, and that is what I'm trying to do. I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it with friends. Um, but, but it is very much using that power of, of yet or not yet. Very good. Right on. So, Michael, uh, thank you for all of this. Thanks for bringing so much leadership wisdom to us. We always want our guests to have an opportunity to highlight or promote something. So what is that for you? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I just would love people that if they liked what they heard, what we're talking about, um, check out the podcast, Leadership and Construction Podcast. It's on uh, pretty much every single podcast avenue that you might find. It's also on YouTube. Um, so, you know, feel free to check it out and get in touch. Um, I, I like to meet with new people and, and, and talk about leadership. So, you know, the more connections, that'd be great. And, and look out, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn and then look out for uh, my book that will be coming out eventually, um, which is, is, is mostly linked into construction, but as most leadership concepts, it's, it's not bound by industry, um, but it's about leading people and teams in the construction industry. Wonderful. And you said LinkedIn is the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, absolutely, yeah. All right. Uh, and the final question is one of our signature questions is I want you to go, you've shared so much with us, but I want you to dig in. What's that one piece of leadership wisdom to leave our listeners with today? Okay. So I sort of have a similar question in my podcast, which was, what do you think is the most important aspect of leadership? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the key aspect to that is there is no important, just one important aspect to leadership. Um, but for me, it's about um, sort of belongingness. Um, we, we want as organizations, as leaders to create a sense of belonging. Um, you know, not just that we're, we're a family, you know, and we, every sort of small company says that we're like, we're like a family. Um, it's about creating a purpose a cause that's bigger than yourself and bigger than any organization um, and, and connecting with people on a very um, deep level that, that, you know, creates those senses of sort of belongingness. Wonderful. I love that. And it fits so well with what we're about here and bringing more belonging and more humanness to organizations and beyond organizations to communities, families, all of it. That is leadership. So, Thank you, Michael, for being here. And thank you for the leadership work you're bringing into the world as well. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.